0: The deepening mystery of the intelligence community whistleblower. The lead starts right now. Breaking news. The inspector general of the U.S. intelligence community is sounding the alarm today, saying the Trump administration is keeping him from doing his job and preventing him from sharing a serious whistleblower complaint about the president with Congress. Dangerous drumbeater Ron warns of all-out war as President Trump weighs an attack. How would a President Pete handle this crisis? Afghanistan veteran and 2020 candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg weighs in this hour. Also breaking today, the Canadian Prime Minister apologizing again after a new image shows him in dark makeup, the third such racist incident. Could this mean curtains for North America's wokest leader? This
1: is CNN Breaking
0: News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with breaking news in the politics lead. An alarm being sounded today by the inspector general of the U.S. intelligence community, Michael Atkinson, saying that the acting director of national intelligence is keeping him from executing two of his most important duties and responsibilities. The White House Justice Department and the acting director of national intelligence have blocked Atkinson from sharing with Congress details of a whistleblower complaint which could involve communications between President Trump and a foreign leader, according to three sources. Today, President Trump dismissed the idea that he did anything wrong. CNN's Alex Marquardt kicks off our coverage.
2: It's a deadlock over an unseen, potentially explosive complaint by a member of the intelligence community about the president. That in communications between a foreign leader and President Trump, he, according to the Washington Post, had made that leader a promise. What he allegedly promised is unknown, as is who the foreign leader was. But it was enough of a blockbuster claim for the intelligence community inspector general to feel forced to go to Congress, claiming the whistleblower complaint is being blocked by the White House, the Department of Justice and the Office of Director of National Intelligence, because they believe it's not an intelligence matter. In a letter to the House Intelligence Committee, the Inspector General writes that the complaint not only falls within the DNI's jurisdiction, but relates to one of the most significant and important of the DNI responsibilities to the American people.
3: That whole purpose is being frustrated here because the Director of National Intelligence has made the unprecedented decision not to share the complaint with Congress.
2: The lawyer for acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, argues the complaint here involves confidential and potentially privileged matters relating to the interest of other stakeholders within the executive branch. Sources tell CNN it was the White House and the Department of Justice that told McGuire that he doesn't have jurisdiction. Today, when the IG spoke to the House Intelligence Committee, he didn't provide any details about the whistleblower's complaint. Hamstrung, the chairman said, by someone trying to manipulate the system.
3: We can't get an answer because the Department of Justice and the Director of National Intelligence will not authorize the IG to tell us. Um, And the Inspector General is doing his very best to be very careful that he follow the law.
2: The complaint was filed on August 12th just days before then director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, as well as his deputy, Sue Gordon, were pushed out by the president on August 15th. It was also after the president had communicated with a number of world leaders in the previous weeks, including the president of Ukraine, the prime minister of Israel, the dictator of North Korea, the emir of Qatar and the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Acting DNI Joseph McGuire is really walking a tightrope here, Jake. On the one hand, he's got a complaint from someone in his own intelligence community. On the other, it's about his boss, the president. McGuire had refused to appear today in front of the House Intelligence Committee, but he is now due to testify to both House and Senate intel committees next week. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt,
0: thanks so much. I want to go now to CNN's Pamela Brown, who broke the story of the White House and the Department of Justice also advising the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, not to share the complaint with Congress. Uh, Pamela, are they providing any explanation for their involvement in this?
4: The White House is not providing uh, any explanation or comment at this point. But what we have learned um, from sources familiar, Jake, is that the White House Counsel's Office has been in discussions with DOJ as well as ODNI. uh, And so far, the refusal to turn over the complaint information to Capitol Hill. Now, the White House and DOJ have advised ODNI that this controversial complaint is outside the scope of intelligence communities that would be protected. Under law, And we know that ODNI has told the committee uh, from the general counsel of, of ODNI uh, that essentially it's not an urgent matter under law and that there could be privileged communications. That's where the White House would come in because we know from a source familiar that the president, uh, this involves in one instance, the president's conversation with a foreign leader. So it- it's not surprising that the White House would want to weigh in on whether there is an executive privilege issue here. But what makes this so unique, Jake, is, of course, that the fact uh, that this is a whistleblower. Lower complaint under, us, under the law. That is what makes this so unprecedented in many ways. And we know the White House Council's stance on sharing foreign leader communications with the president so far is to not share that with Congress. That happened in March. As you'll recall, Congress wanted information on the president's talks with Vladimir Putin. And the White House said longstanding precedent um, blocks that information from being handed over.
0: And Pamela, you have some more reporting about instances where foreign leaders have have made requests of President Trump.
4: That's right. I've been trying to get a better idea of, of the Trump's conversations with the foreign leaders. And uh, an administration official tells me that there will be uh, during some conversations with foreign leaders outlandish requests made as it has to do with policy or perhaps the need for U.S. help for a certain individual or entity. And the president will often say, "I'll have my people look into it." That doesn't necessarily mean uh, he he's going to actually have that happen. Sometimes it's the president's way of uh, blowing it off. In one such case, a foreign leader asked the president. Uh, to look into a DOJ indictment of a state-owned entity. The president said he'd look into it. Ultimately, nothing was ever done. And in terms of his conversations with Vladimir Putin, the, the Russian president, sources say that the president has been much more cautious in talking to Putin and making any sort of offers of assistance or promises ever since the uh, classified in, the fact that he shared classified information with Russians uh, in the Oval Office leaked out a while ago. Jake?
0: All right, Pamela Brown, thanks so much. Let's bring in our experts, uh, Asha Rangappa and Kerry Cordero. Asha, let me start with you the inspector general here really seems to be sounding the alarm in this letter to the House Intelligence Committee. How do you interpret it?
5: Yeah, I think we essentially see the IG acting as a whistleblower himself um, in this case. So you have a whistleblower who went to the IG, um, and now the IG is being blocked from giving this to Congress. So he's kind of sounding the alarm, as you said. Uh, You know, it's an unprecedented situation because it is simply not in compliance with the law. Um, But of course, he has to be very careful. He can't kind of blab the contents of this complaint himself to Congress because then he might run afoul of the law. So I think he's walking a tightrope. But, you know, it it is really in his purview to make sure that this gets to Congress and he's being prevented from doing that by the DNI. By the way, the IG is a a Trump appointee. And I think it's important uh, to note that as well.
0: Indeed. Uh, And Kerry, if these communications involve the president, uh... are they covered by privilege as the department of justice uh... office of legal counsel seems to be arguing uh... and therefore not a matter for the intelligence community that seems to be the administration's argument
6: Well, the administration, I think, is making a few different arguments. So, and they're kind of throwing out different arguments and it's kind of unclear exactly which ones um, really would stick. So they're saying privilege. They're not saying what kind of privilege, executive privilege, attorney-client privilege. So it's unclear what kind of privilege would exist. They're also throwing out confidential information, but these are the intelligence committees. So they're actually allowed to receive classified information so that's not a legitimate basis to withhold the information the other argument that the administration seems to be making is that it simply is about a subject matter that doesn't fall under the authority of the director of national intelligence and that's where the really substantive disagreement exists between the intelligence community inspector general mm-hmm. and the acting DNI in the administration. And the IG's letter was very strong. I haven't seen a letter from an inspector general. I see um, like the one that came out today. He is putting as much information in these public letters as he can to indicate that he so strongly disagrees with the judgment that's being made by the administration. And also,
0: critics of the Trump administration have argued this is clearly an effort to protect the president and block Congress from performing its responsibility to conduct oversight. Do you agree with that?
5: It certainly seems like it. I mean, this is, there is no question that there has been a violation of the law in terms of the DNI taking on this veto power. What I suspect is happening behind the scenes, even though it's not being explicitly stated in this letter, we know that the DNI went to the OLC the, at, at the Department of Justice to get an opinion. And I suspect that they are hanging their hat on a constitutional argument uh, that the president has a certain, you know, a shield of secrecy uh, in his communications with foreign leaders, um, that that kind of diplomatic uh, executive privilege goes back to George Washington, so he wouldn't be the first one to make it. Um, and the idea is that he should be able to have these confidential communications in order to, uh, you know, pursue his foreign policy and foreign affairs. I think the question is when does that come up against Congress's oversight authority when he may be using his foreign affairs powers for, you know, to abuse, uh, you know, the law or or for personal gain, or, or something like that.
0: If a um, president, let's just remove Trump from it for a second, if a president uh, were, on, were overheard by somebody in the intelligence community doing something illegal, mm-hmm. like, uh, hey, uh, strongman X, uh, I want to have better relationships with you guys, do this favor for me, this political favor for me, or this financial favor for me, mm-hmm. and we'll have better relations. Mm-hmm. And the intelligence community individual, this officer, overhears it. Um, What is the proper step to do if he or she thinks that the president, this hypothetical president, broke the law?
6: Well, so first of all, if it wasn't the president, it would be very straightforward and they would be able to file what's called a crimes report. So intelligence community uh, personnel, if they, in the course of their work, hear something that's violation of the crime, there's a process that they go through to make a report to the Department of Justice. If it's the president, it falls into a different category. And really, the only accountability that the president has is from another branch of government because he can't be indicted, because he's not going to be investigated by the Justice Department for something like that. So the (coughs) channel that the intelligence community professional has to go through is the inspector general to congressional intelligence committees. And, and this is the way this person, whoever they are in the community, they're trying to do this the right way. And I think that's so important because sometimes we think about whistleblowers, people who report things to the media or otherwise release things in an undisclosed way. This person tried to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. They went to the IG. There's a channel for the IG to report back to Congress.
0: Right. And the Trump administration is saying... Uh, this financial crime, this, uh, this political crime, whatever, and this hypothetical thing. Uh, doesn't fall in the intelligence. Whatever pervia. is
6: the subject matter that yeah. is the current dispute, which we don't have all the facts yeah, regarding no what facts. this, this, what is this current thing is. I'm but, but whatever would be the dispute, the channel is to go to Congress because Congress is the one yeah. that is supposed this- to hold the president accountable. Otherwise, there's absolutely no accountability for a president.
0: In- interesting. We're going to zero in on the president's communication that might be in question coming up next. Plus, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking yet again today. Uh, ...for wearing blackface, how he's addressing new images amid his re-election campaign, uh, which is coming up. ...saying a few words directly to uh,
1: race.
0: ...and we're back with another unbelievable day of breaking news. The alleged communication made by President Trump to a foreign leader that prompted a, quote, "...credible and urgent whistleblower complaint," according to three sources. The Intelligence Community Inspector General is now sounding the alarm, saying that he's an, at an impasse with the Director of National Intelligence who is refusing to turn over the contents of that whistleblower uh, complaint to Congress. Uh, Let's chew over all of this. Uh, Tsung-min, let me start with you. The Washington Post is reporting this communication involved a promise that Trump made to a foreign leader and that White House records show Trump had spoken to or interacted with at least five foreign leaders in the five weeks before this complaint. Uh, Putin from Russia, Kim Jong-un from North Korea, the prime minister of Pakistan, the prime minister of the Netherlands, and the emir of Qatar... Um, Although it's not clear which communication, if any, of those five this had anything to do with because they're completely opaque. They do not share the communications they have with foreign leaders.
7: That's correct. And obviously there are many options right there and perhaps others that this this promise that we don't know uh, what it is and with, with which foreign leader it was. But what this whole episode shows, um, one of many things that it shows, is just how little we know about this president's communications with uh, mm-hmm. foreign leaders. Whether it comes in a phone call, like we reported in the Washington Post last night that this happened, or whether it's in these, you know, one-on-one meetings with foreign leaders. I mean, we were, there was a hour, nearly hour-long meeting with Kim Jong-un and Trump at the DMZ that we don't really still have the details of. Um, you know, Democrats were so incensed and concerned about what may have happened between Putin and Trump in Helsinki that they were contemplating Subpoenaing the interpreter in that meeting. Um, and you make such a good point about the calls. You know, the, the White House hasn't made it a really regular practice of reading out these calls. Very oftentimes, we actually find out these calls happen from the other country. One of the, the one of the calls you just referenced, um, the, uh, ju- ju- uh, the July 31st call, um, I believe that was first, uh, we first heard about it from the Russians. And once we do get these readouts, the readouts are pretty short, pretty perfunctory. There's still a really a lot that we don't know about. And it puts calls. the
8: American people at the mercy of foreign governments to know what happened in State these media, calls. Right. State media, exactly. So yeah. the fact that, that there's a readout there, OK, fine, but it's not from uh, uh, it's not from the United yeah. States. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's from a, uh, perhaps an adversary.
9: Judging by this White House's record, it's probably more accurate if it doesn't come from this White House, the readout. <laughs> but they have cut down on the readouts. It is absurd. It's not even the official calls. Remember, Trump went around and handed out his personal cell phone number to world leaders. Justin Trudeau called him up to discuss tariffs, and he didn't tell any of his aides that he'd had a chat with the Prime Minister of Canada on his personal cell phone until the Canadians uh, released their half of the conversation. He, I mean, to say Trump has a problem with discretion is an epic understatement. I mean, this guy just runs his mouth in all ways he shouldn't. He handed over classified intel to the Russian foreign minister about ISIS the day after he fired Jim Comey. Now he's saying on Twitter today, why would I ever say when people are watching me, why would I ever say? You've done it before. He did it yesterday at the border. A general had to tell him to shut up. Oh, the about, the surveil- about the right. surveillance said, information.
0: So better- maybe yeah,
9: better than the not discussing. Them. He did it in front of our eyes yesterday, so yeah. I'm not sure
3: why he's tweeting today that he doesn't do this stuff. There's a lot of not great options on that list. That list of world leaders that he talked <laughs> right. to, I'm sort of hoping it was the Netherlands, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what he could have done that would have been that bad with them. Everyone else on that list is not great.
0: Yeah, no, and Ukraine also, he's spoken to them. Uh, a lot of people are also, uh, Sungmin, uh, pointing to the personnel shuffles that happened during the time of this complaint. Uh, the president pushed out the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, he installed a new acting director, Joseph McGuire. Uh, there's also the deputy, uh, Susan Gordon, uh, who, Gordon, yeah. yeah, who, who he, he basically pushed out as well. We don't know if it's tied to this or not.
7: We don't know if it's tied to this or not, but there's no, there's no question that the that the. That the issue of the intel community versus the president has become such a political issue, and one of the people that you left out in that conversation was the person that uh, the president initially contemplated to replace Dan coates It was John Ratcliffe. He's a House Republican, um, you know, he, he respected in the House Republican conference, but did not la- or did not have the intel credentials. Seen as a very partisan warrior, and for a position that's supposed to be very non, probably the most non-partisan of all. Um, so it's just this constant struggle that we're seeing escalate between. All, all those factors right now.
0: And with the struggle we're not seeing medi is, Normally, uh, the House and Senate are pushing back and saying we're supposed to do oversight over the president. The Democrats are trying to do that. We haven't heard anything from the Republican <laughs> leaders Surprise! about any of this. stuff. But it's their job to know because that's, that's the oversight. In the
9: old days, if there is such a thing as the old days, on issues of at least of intelligence and national security, you would have pretty, you know, no real blue water between the two parties. But now, even on intelligence issues, the Republicans see everything as a, as a deep state conspiracy. And, the, and it's only a matter of time until this whistleblower is called a deep state agent trying to take out the president. By the way, the acting role of uh, DNI is a problem. We know Trump likes to put everyone in as acting because then he can steamroll them.
0: You, you control them or not. Well, yeah. And, and
3: House, Repo- House and Senate Republicans are not going to be interested in investigating this. And House Democrats have been pretty inept thus far at holding these things up to the light and drawing attention to things that the president has done.
8: I'll be interested, though, to see what comes out of Senate intel. Um, I think they're being briefed next week on this, because it seems like Warner and Burr have had a much better relationship than we've seen on the other side.
0: Absolutely. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. Mayor Pete Buttigieg has a background in intelligence from his days in the military. We're going to get his take on this mystery case next. And we're back with breaking news. The inspector general of the intelligence community sounding the alarm today in a letter claiming that members of the Trump administration are preventing him from doing his job when it comes to a whistleblower's complaint involving President Trump. CNN has learned from three sources that the complaint could involve communications between President Trump and a foreign leader. Joining me now is Democratic presidential candidate and the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, thanks for joining us. So a letter was just released um, from the inspector general of the intelligence community to the leaders of the House Intelligence Committee. He's essentially saying in the letter that he has a complaint from a whistleblower that he wants to share with them, the, the leaders of the House Intelligence Committee. But the acting director of national intelligence and the Justice Department are blocking him from bringing it to these congressional leaders. What's your response?
10: My response is that muzzling the inspector general's independence is the exact wrong direction for this administration to take. Look, in this country... Congress has oversight of the executive branch in order to prevent abuses. The whole idea of an independent inspector general and a whistleblower function is to make sure that when some kind of abuse is observed or suspected, it can get addressed. And the inspector general has a duty to bring this to Congress. Uh, First of all, it raises the question of what exactly is it that they don't want Congress to find out? Secondly, uh, it shows that they have no respect for the process. Remember, We're talking about an intelligence committee where all of the members have clearances and, frankly, a much better track record of handling classified and sensitive information than the president and the administration do. Uh, They should be given a chance to do their job, evaluate whatever it is that created this, quote unquote, urgent concern and determine what steps are needed in order to keep America safe.
0: The White House would theoretically push back, and I'm sure they would argue, look, President Trump is allowed to have... Uh, private, confidential conversations with foreign leaders in, in order to do his job, uh, and people aren't allowed to just share that classified information. This, again,
10: is not about making classified information public. This is about sharing it with an oversight body, with security clearances, whose very job is to make sure that the president and the administration are acting in the interests of the American people. I don't know what it is they're hiding. I don't know why they're afraid to just defend this uh, within the congressional uh, committee. But it's certainly disturbing to see that they are muzzling the inspector general and telling him he can't share this according to his duties under the law.
0: Some other uh, big news in the world today, the Iranian foreign minister tells CNN that if the U.S. were to launch a military military strike on Iran, it would lead to a, quote, all-out war. You served as an intelligence officer in Afghanistan. How would a President Buttigieg respond to the attack on the Saudi oil fields and that threat from the Iranian foreign minister? Would a military option be on the table? Well, everything is on the table, but the priority has to be
10: de-escalation. And I'm very concerned. This latest uh, talk might just be bluster, but I'm more concerned about uh, how actions could continue to escalate the tensions that are there. Remember, this president decided to authorize an attack on Iran and then Changed his mind at the last minute. And that was before we started seeing the current instability in terms of who's even giving him advice. This is an incredibly precarious situation, and I'm worried that it could actually get out of the control both of the White House and of the Iranians. What we need are measured steps that de escalate the situation there. And by the way, since this attack on the Saudi oil fields appears to have been spillover from the conflict in Yemen, let's make sure that there is some strategy for resolving that conflict in Yemen. We could exercise leverage with both the Saudis and the Iranians to do something about this. But when American leadership is absent, the world gets a more dangerous place, gets to be a more dangerous place day by day.
0: Healthcare, uh, the number one issue on the minds of many uh, Democratic voters. You introduced your new Medicare for All Who Want It, Healthcare Plan Today. That's what you call it. It includes a public government option sure. uh, for healthcare or lets people keep their private insurance if they want to. Now, you wrote in a Washington Post op ed quote, With my plan, we can achieve universal health care and a public alternative without raising taxes on the middle class. I've always said that anyone who lets the words Medicare for all escape their lips should tell us just as plainly how they plan to get there. You seem there to be accusing some of your rivals of not being upfront about how they intend to pay for Medicare for all. Uh, Stephen Colbert earlier this week seemed to suggest uh, that Senator Elizabeth Warren wasn't being upfront.
10: You know, Senator Warren is known for being straightforward and was uh, extremely evasive when asked that question. And we've seen that repeatedly. Uh, I think that if you are proud of your plan and it's the right plan, you should defend it in straightforward terms. And I think it's uh, puzzling that when everybody knows the answer to that question of whether her plan and Senator Sanders' plan will raise middle class taxes is yes. Why you wouldn't just say, though, so and then explain why you think that's the better way forward. Our plan does not require raising middle class taxes. It does create a way for everybody to be covered. And I think that's what most Americans want. Look, people are used to uh, Washington politicians not giving straight answers to simple questions. But at a time like this on an issue this important, that's exactly what we need.
0: Your health care proposal seems to share a lot with uh, that being proposed by former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, how are they different? Why would yours be better?
10: Well, first of all, I don't think that it's enough to simply build on the ACA. Uh, certainly, the ACA was a leap forward, and we should be thankful that the Obama administration delivered that. But we know that far too many Americans are finding that they still can't good, get good insurance, or when they have insurance, affordability remains an enormous problem. We're seeking to attack the, the problem of affordability from several angles. Insurance, but also looking at what's driving those costs in the first place. And, Uh, I really do believe the public alternative will be better. It could well be the glide path that leads to a Medicare for all environment. I just don't think it's a good idea to command Americans to adopt Medicare for all, whether they want it or not. Under my plan, if you prefer to keep your private insurance, you can. I just think that
0: ours will be better. And if we're right, then Americans will decide that for themselves. Democratic presidential candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg, thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it as always. Sure thing. Good to be with you. Mayor Buttigieg is not the only 2020 candidate calling out Senator Warren. The other swipes directed at her today coincidentally coming as Warren sees a rise in the polls. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, if you ever doubted how important Iowa is, just take a look at what's happening now. Senator Kamala Harris's campaign is doubling focus on the state, saying she must finish in the top three come voting time, or to put it a different way, as a reporter from Vice tweeted today. Senator Harris told a colleague, quote, I'm effing moving to Iowa. This as 2020 candidates descend on the state for two major campaign events. I want to get to Iowa in a minute. But first, uh, take a listen to what Mayor Pete Buttigieg just told me about his new Medicare for all plan, all all who want it, he said. And his criticism of his opponents, especially Elizabeth Warren, Warren, about whether or not they're fully explaining, whether or not she's fully explaining how she's going to pay for it. Take a listen.
10: You know, Senator Warren is known for being straightforward and was uh, extremely evasive when asked that question. And we've seen that repeatedly. Uh, I think that if you are proud of your plan and it's the right plan, you should defend it in straightforward terms. And I think it's uh, puzzling that when everybody knows the answer to that question of whether her plan and Senator Sanders' plan will raise middle class taxes is yes. Why you wouldn't just say, though, so.
0: Sanders is more direct, but the the full context, of course, is that Taxes will go up, but premiums will be eliminated and universal coverage will be provided. That is an important context. But, I mean, he has a point. He's talking about that Warren was grilled by Stephen Colbert earlier this week and (laughs) wouldn't give a straight answer on it.
9: She's got a plan for everything, but not on the most important issue for many people people in our party. On (laughs) health care, she has dodged talking about it in detail, putting detailed plans on her website. I think Mayor Pete calling other people kind of evasive, not being straightforward. Back in February, January, when he launched on the scene, kind of on the presidential He was saying single payers, great, it's the centrist position, it's the compromise position. Now I think he's worked out, there's nowhere really for him to go. He hasn't had that continual rise. He's in the kind of Joe Biden lane, so he's got a Joe Biden plan, and he's attacking the main rival to Joe Biden, the person who's really swallowing up all the votes in between Biden and and, and Sanders. So I think it's kind of opportunistic on his part as well, not just on Warren's part, dodging the detail. An opportunistic politician, you say.
10: Indeed, indeed. (laughs) So so listen
0: to that. Speaking of this, somebody else perhaps in that Biden lane is Senator Amy Klobuchar, Uh, listen to her earlier today. My
11: view of this is we've got a lot of great people running, but some of these ideas are better left in the college faculty lounge.
8: Uh, you know, to Klobuchar's credit, she actually said this during the debate. Like She has, she said, I think she said, great idea, bad plan or something like that. I can't, can't remember her exact verbiage. So she's actually, um, you know, come at in a respectful way some of these front runners. But yeah, I mean, these centrists are uh, taking a position that I think polling Reflects when you look at not just Democrats that you know, people don't want to give up their private health insurance. Medicare for all is all fun and games until you ask the question: Would you would you be willing to give up your insurance? And then it gets a little bit more dicey.
3: And yeah, I mean, there's two fundamental problems that Democrats have with these with these plans. One is 149 million Americans have a private plan that they generally like or at least accept find acceptable. They're scared of a government alternative, and paying for it is vastly expensive. Covering the people who are currently uncovered. They are by definition hard to cover. It costs a lot of money. People are unwilling to pay higher taxes to cover someone else.
0: I, I want to bring you in a second, but Medicare you're a single... You're no, a I just there. think they're, they're not scared of a
9: government alternative. <laughs> I mean, looking at the polling, as Jackie points out, they do like Medicare for All in principle. Obviously, when you drill into details, you can ask polling questions any way you want. If you tell them you get to keep your doctor, then the position changes.
3: Right. I don't think people love that. I'm don't. i Medicare, I'm with Warren on this. Medicare, I don't think all all people love their insurance Medicare company. Medicare for all, all, is all is a big great pro-insurance smoke smoke They like their plan and they like their doctors. Medicare for All is a great One slogan. It's loses program. their plan and doctors the year when they change program.
9: jobs. We're seeing what's happening in GM. I just think, I, look, if we get into the polling, you can ask the question anyway, and you can get pro-Medicare for All, pro-public option. There's not many
3: people in favor of people losing their health care apart from the GOP. If you tell people that you're going to lose your health care plan and the access to
0: your doctor that you like and you're going to pay more, that is deeply well, unpopular, and that's well, the problem with this plan. <laughs> and that's so- what you won't answer. We're not going to resolve this uh, right now, but I do want to <laughs> talk about Iowa because you have Kamala Harris, Senator Harris going there, saying she's doubling down. We just learned that Bernie Sanders had got rid of his uh, political director in Iowa earlier, this summer. It's, it's pretty pivotal for a lot of these candidates.
7: It's pretty pivotal. And you see how Kamala Harris is really refocusing her energy on there. And I think this is a critical move for her because you've seen how she's kind of stagnated in the polling since she had that really big moment in one of the previous debates where she went after Joe Biden, her uh, her numbers went up, her fundraising clearly went up. And I thought it was interesting how her campaign acknowledged in a call with reporters earlier today that that was a sugar high. They realized that wasn't going to last for a long time. You saw in the last debate how she really tried to focus her attention, her energy on Trump Trump and trying to show herself as the best um best person to go up against President Trump but whether her all-in-on-Iowa strategy works, we'll have to wait and see. You know, it worked for Obama, but, you know, Chris Dodd right. moved to Iowa and didn't do anything for me. Well,
8: and, But in, this is after a more than a month absence in Iowa, which Hannah Trudeau um, reported today that Iowans have noticed that she hasn't been around.
0: Yep. So we'll see what happens. Everyone, thanks so much. Moments ago, we just heard from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau addressing questions about even more images showing him in racist blackface or brown face makeup. That's next. Plus, Breaking news, a New Jersey man accused of scouting several popular U.S. landmarks as possible terrorist attack targets. That story's next. We <laughs> have some breaking news for you now. The feds say a New Jersey man was an operative for Hezbollah, scouting the most famous locations in the country for a terrorist attack, from the Statue of Liberty to Fenway Park in Boston to the U.S. Capitol. Joining me now with this breaking news is CNN's Bryn Gingras And Bryn, apparently this individual was conducting surveillance on these locations, and the feds say... He even took photographs?
12: Yeah, Jake, not only just for photographs, but video as well, according to a 33-page complaint that was unsealed today. Uh, according to federal authorities, uh, this man named Alexei Saab, 42 year old, years old from Morristown, New Jersey, he was a naturalized citizen uh, back in 2008 here in the U.S., but they believe he had been working with the terrorist group Hezbollah for more than two decades, and as you said, it acting as a scout for the terrorist group during that time uh, here in the U.S., Scouting out locations in Boston, in Washington, D.C., in New York City, uh, and major locations in all of those cities. For example, in Washington, D.C., the White House, uh, the U.S. Capitol, in New York City, the United Nations, Statue of Liberty, the Stock Exchange, the FBI headquarters, airports, even uh, bridges and tunnels uh, to, quote, according to the complaint, have structural weakness of locations to cause the most destruction. That's sort of the information that he was trying to glean uh, from his surveillance and then reporting that back to the terrorist organization, according to this, uh, again, 33-page p- complaint, which was released, or unsealed, rather, today. But we do believe he has been in custody for a few months now, Jake.
0: All right, Bryn Jigrass, thank you so much. And our Worldly Today, just moments ago, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau faced new questions about even more images of him in blackface and brownface. As a scandal rocks his re-election campaign, Trudeau apologized when the first photo surfaced showing his face and hands covered in dark makeup at an Arabian Nights party in 2001. Now a similar high school photo and video have emerged of him sporting similar racist images. Let's go to Paula Newton, who covers Canada for CNN. And Paula, the scandals now consume Trudeau ahead of next month's election.
11: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, No one can think of anyone else, and that includes the opposition parties. And the reason is you just have to look at those pictures. It is just jaw-dropping, especially for a man uh, who really uh, is the political brand, is that he is inclusive, uh, and he has fought for women's rights, indigenous rights, and to have that kind of diversity in Canadian society. Look, Jake, there were many, many words of contrition. He said it quite often. I want you to take a listen to him once again apologizing.
3: People who live with the kind of discrimination uh, that far too many people do because of the color of their skin, uh, or their history, or their origins, or their language, or their religion uh, face on a regular basis. And uh, I didn't see that from the layers of privilege that I have. Uh, And for that I am deeply sorry
11: you know, the layers of white privilege, and he called them out as racist. Uh, And in terms of what he said in that press conference, he said he could not recollect if there were other times when he did this. I want to take you through some of this. This was the first one, as we said, a gala at a private school function where he was a teacher. He was 29 years old. You see him there, apparently in the costume of Aladdin. But then other photos, one during high school where he was impersonating Harry Belafonte, you see it there. And then yet another, we're not exactly sure of its origins, but apparently it happened again in the 90s, it is video. And as you can see, he's being quite glib and quite offensive, many would say in terms of his costume, but also his demeanor. Uh, I mean, Jake, the issue here is that he called it out for what many people saw it as, and that is racist.
0: Well, yeah, they're, they're clearly racist images. Uh, and I assume they play the same in Canada as they do in the United States when we've had scandals here, including involving uh, the uh, governor of, of the Virginia. They're just seen as, as out and out racist, right?
11: Absolutely. I think there's some discussion as to whether or not Canada's had the same legacy with slavery and if it means that much. I would say absolutely not, especially in the last two to three decades. And the prime minister knows this. The very complexion of Canada has changed. They are your neighbors, your children's friends. And the many words that came out of so many communities today, uh, Jake, was a betrayal And hurtful. And that will be what the prime minister has to contend with going forward.
0: And certainly 29 years old, old enough to know better. Uh, Paul, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, questions for the Pentagon after uh, reports that the U.S. military fired a deadly drone strike in Afghanistan, one that may not have hit its intended target. Stay with us. In our world lead now, a drone strike carried out by U.S. forces has killed at least 16 people and wounded eight more in eastern Afghanistan The strike targeted ISIS militants, but the Pentagon says that it's investigating reports that some of the victims are not terrorists, they are innocent civilians. This comes during an uptick in violent attacks by the Taliban in the region ahead of the Afghan presidential elections next weekend, and what the Taliban says is an effort to dissuade voting. CNN's Barbara Starr joins me now. Barbara, what are you hearing about this drone strike?
1: Well, as you say, Jake, the U.S.-led coalition says now it's all under investigation. This drone strike taking place in a remote area of eastern Afghanistan, 16 killed, eight wounded. And what they simply don't know at this point is they were targeting ISIS, but is that who was killed? That's the point of the investigation. They're going to have to talk to local people out there, local leaders, and try and determine exactly what did happen here. So a lot of concern about all of this. And as you say, Jake, it comes during this period of rising violence.
0: Yeah, and and ever since that Labor Day Camp David meeting between President Trump and the Taliban fell through, Uh, The terrorist group has been increasingly violent, uh, at least 15 killed, 66 wounded in a car bomb uh, just today.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, these are happening multiple times a week, everywhere from some of the most secure areas of Kabul, the capital, out into these remote areas of eastern Afghanistan. Uh, It is making it very difficult for Afghan forces to secure these areas in advance of the election, making it very difficult for the U.S. to try and improve security, help improve security, so that eventually U.S. forces can withdraw as President Trump wants. And as for the Taliban, President. President Trump called off the peace talks. And ever since then, the Taliban have just been going at it. Numerous scores of Afghan civilians killed. It is those Afghan civilians that continue to pay the price. Jake. All
0: right, Barbara start at the Pentagon. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at the lead CNN. We actually read your tweets. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching.